My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I hope this new episode hits your podcast feeds on a particularly good day. One of my favorite things about doing the show is knowing that while we drop episodes each Wednesday, people save and listen to them whenever they want. So whatever day or night it is for you, here's hoping it's an expansive one. On my end, it's finally cooled off a little bit here in the desert. Not quite cool enough for my taste, but as the days grow shorter, I find myself turning to horror movies, old EC Comics, and Stephen King. Although admittedly, I am just rereading his book about the craft on writing. I don't mention any of this to suggest that this week's episode is especially spooky or anything of that sort, but it is nice and mysterious. In fact, that's what draws me most to the music of our guest, Maria Elena Silva, who joins us today from Chicago, that sense of mystery. I was introduced to her by 2021's Eros, which featured collaborations with previous Transmissions guests Jeff Parker of Tortoise and Chris Schlarb, who produced the album. Uh, He is, of course, also in Psychic Temple, and it's worth noting they just announced a new album, A Universe Considers Itself. Writing about Eros, Aquarium Drunkard's Dalworth Tyler Wilcox says, Maria Elena Silva's voice rarely rises above a whisper on the remarkable Eros, but don't mistake this one for a lullaby-type album. He goes on to cite the band's work and how they bring a sharp-edged but free-flowing chamber jazz vibe via skittering drums, strangled guitar solos, and murmuring horn arrangements. Silva is back with a new one, the recently released Dulce, and here she's joined by Schlarb once again as well as Transmissions alum Mark Rabot, who brings a raw questing intensity to her new songs. Previously, uh, there's a sense of sort of reserve on Eros, but with Dulce, she's out front and displaying a lot of bravado. At the core of the record are the drums of Scott Dean Taylor, who matches Maria's humanistic phrasing with nuance and a palpable charge. You might think of somebody like PJ Harvey when you listen to a number like Love, If It Is So, but it equally brings to mind Mark Hollis of Talk Talk or Mary Margaret O'Hara at her most free. Our conversation found us focusing a lot on that notion, freedom, and I am very glad to share it with you today. But before we roll tape, a reminder that Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions is brought to you by listeners like yourself who pledge support on Patreon. Over there, you'll get access to exclusive audio, notes, radio extras, and a lot more. So if you're interested in the work we're doing and if Transmissions means something to you, head over to Patreon, pledge, and help us continue to create and offer up our work. All right. Without further chatter, let's get into it. Here's Maria Elena Silva on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions.
Julia, thank you so much for being with us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. I've been absolutely loving the time that I'm spending with the new record, Dulce. Thank you so much. That's good to hear. I loved your first record, too. So Chris Schlarb has been on the show a number of times. We're always glad to have him back. And he sent me stuff from Eros, I think, maybe shortly after you'd finished tracking or probably after it had been mixed or something like that. But it blew me away. So I was very excited to dig into this new one. And I found that as much as I liked that that first one, this one is in some ways maybe I might even like it a little bit more. I'm sure that that's uh, often the case with artists. Do you find that your your most recent stuff is the stuff that you're most connected with? Or do you tend to look back on your discography and think, okay, that was a high watermark here and this is another high watermark. How does it, how does it work for you? I think typically I have a lot of affection for previous releases once I'm in the middle of something new. Sure. Whether that being the recording process or the release of it, I think every time I think, oh, this can't even touch the last thing I did. <laughs> what yeah. am I doing? And I have a lot of that sort of cyclical thing that artists go through where in the writing of it, you know, and in, in, in the prep for recording of it, you're really on a high and you feel so good about it and have so much passion and confidence in the material. And then <clears throat> it's exciting during mixing. and But the the interim there once the mixes are done and you're either awaiting masters or awaiting a release that's kind of a more susceptible for me i'm more susceptible to a low point there in concern i think for the quality of it sure i don't know how many other musicians go through that i'm sure people do but i think it's at that point there's nothing you can do it's totally out of your hands you know it's just a timeline from here and so you're kind of anticipating other people's reactions with eagerness, but also anxiety a little bit. Yeah. And hoping that they're going to find, you know, some of that same interest and passion for it that you had before. <laughs> right. Um, but that's always kind of an unsafe space for me, just kind of sitting in wait, because I think that once something is released and it's out and it's over with, then I can relax and then I'm able to really listen to it all the way and feel really good about it. Right. So that's kind of where I am with Dulce right now, at least in relation to Eros, because for Eros right now, she's, you know, so precious to me. And I'm a little bit nervous about, <laughs> about Dulce thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? But at the same time, I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's, it's a little hard to explain, but yeah, there's two sides of, you know, the sort of anticipatory, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did I go too far this time? And also the, you know, well, if I did, too late now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so be so. it. It's done. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, so we're recording this conversation just a couple days before the record is properly uh, out in the world, at which point people will begin bringing you their interpretations and their experiences with it. But yeah, right now, it's probably a little bit of a solitary zone because you're just living with this thing in a state of, I don't know, suspended animation. You know, certainly uh, uh, yes. those of us who, those, you know, journalists and podcasters and music people have had a chance to... Uh, to experience it, but your fans, people who listen to your records, are eagerly awaiting it. So it's just a couple of days away. I'm sure that uh, that that is a strange feeling, though. Knowing I, I was, you know, the first the the lead single, "Love," if it is so. I mean, when you talked about being worried, you know, did I go too far? Uh, when I listen to that that song, I, I I can hear what you're saying. I don't think you have gone too far at all. <laughs> Um, but, but there is a sense of danger and, uh, volume and intensity that 
you know, like I said, the first record was great, and I and I loved that the previous record that that I was, you know, I really loved the the feel that you had on it. But to hear you come out of the gate with such essentially a, a kind of frenzied recording was so exciting and so and so moving and i could feel that sense of you shifting into a new space was that a song where when you wrote it somewhere in your head you knew it was going to be a barn burner when you when you got into the studio or did that develop over time as the record took shape what what did that process look like for that one in particular, I don't think that I could have foreseen the sort of anthemic, um sort of triumphant energy yeah. that I feel like that song has, you know. <clears throat> um, I think that when I wrote it, I felt okay with it on myself and guitar and it seemed a little bit more of a throwaway song mm. in the moment with everything else i didn't feel like it was quite as well it's not delicate and and for me to go to a place that isn't delicate was new and so i was probably a little surprised at myself and maybe a little you know concerned with how how that came about <laughs> like yeah. where did this come from you know yeah um <clears throat> to write something so you know anthemic i think is just it's atypical for me but that sort of energy really came together with everybody you know it it wasn't intended to be quite as profoundly wild yeah yeah i think as it ended up once we're in the studio, though, uh, I was really, really grateful to see that that sort of wild energy was going to permeate all of it. And I welcomed that very much. And I really did want that. I really, really did. I didn't, I think, realize how immediate that was going to influence all of the music. Um, but for that song in particular, I think that I was a little bit surprised that you know it it came together the way that it did it was a nice sort of handoff i feel like from my more um tentative habitual state into something you know much freer and much more celebratory yeah and so that was a kind of a nice like okay this is a cool, <laughs> this is an interesting, you know, road to, to take here. And um, I remember when we recorded it, I don't know if he said it into the room with us or if he said it during a break, but I remember Chris immediately upon hearing it with the whole band said, that's the first song on the record and that's the first single. Yeah. He had it, it was already planned. And I thought, really, that one? Because I definitely would have chosen something a lot more meandering and a lot more, you know, but that's because that's how my brain works. Yeah. <laughs> sort, of, sort of always, you know, searching just a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it was good of him to, you know, make sure that we found something that was a little more succinct and so poignant and give the record a, a boost from the beginning with that. Yeah, I find like, you know, using a word like love is, uh, love has all these connotations. And when people hear, you know, a song called Love, if it is so, maybe they think if they were to just, even if they were to just read the lyrics, you know, because you have this kind of like a elliptical, uh, very beautifully poetic sensibility to you so just reading you know lyrics like with the shimmering wave i collapsed his invaluable symmetry you know like you hear that and, and i think people could imagine the sort of delicate reserved song you're you're talking about but 
I'm a big fan of thinking of love in expansive terms, thinking of the act of loving as something that can be very delicate or can be very gentle or it can be wild and free like you're talking about with that song, right? I think that to have an expansive notion of what love actually is, um, love might look very different depending on the context, right? So I feel like something about the way you evoke the sea in that song and that celebratory, triumphant, frankly, unhinged quality to it, you know, really reminds me of just how enormous existence is and how enormous and encompassing something like love can be, you know? So it's like, to me, it feels like a Maybe all great rock songs are somewhere in their heart love songs, but in this one, I feel like there's a perfect marriage between that abandon and your lyrical your lyrical focus. So I suppose I can see why Chris thought this should be the first song on the record, and I'm glad that's the way it worked out. I am too, you know, and <clears throat> I think that that's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know. I mean, love as, a, and as, as an expansive energy and as something that maybe is a little bit more leaning toward omnipotent <laughs> something that we you know aren't aren't ever going to fully encapsulate or understand right and you know yeah evoking the imagery of you know the ocean and the sea i mean lot being lost at sea is both terrifying and really comforting and um in a way well, I, 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 I was gonna say I've never but, been lost lost at sea, so I I can't you know, be sure. You know, I haven't either, <laughs> so I probably shouldn't use that metaphor. But I suppose I mean that you know, really, just I kind of opening the floodgates for the opportunity. Yeah. To to sort of be at large, you know, and at the mercy of something so powerful, and to embrace it and make use of it in a way that you know is going to be, is going to lend to your own personal growth and happiness, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a very, very, very different uh, place from the opening song on Eros. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, Mark, Mark Rabot plays on this record, and we had him on the podcast earlier this season, and uh, I was talking with him about his session work and, and and what happens when he goes into a studio with an artist and essentially he said that you know oftentimes he's given kind of free reign to do his thing and to try to bring his full mark rabonis to a, a, a record you know you've got mark on this record you've got stephen hodges your Longtime collaborator Scott Dean Taylor is on the record. All sorts of great folks. Danny Frankel. I'm curious what kind of conversations you're interested in having with the players to get them in the right headspace for your songs. Or if, as maybe Mark suggested, there's a certain unspoken quality to what happens where you're open to people coming in and and doing their thing what does that process look like for you in terms of sort of spiritually aligning everybody and getting everybody on the same page well i'm absolutely open and wanting for everyone to play what they play and how they play always um i don't <clears throat> write any parts for anyone or lines and i'm hesitant uh generally to even give charts because I don't want anyone to be reading the chart <laughs> instead of right. using it as more of a blueprint. Um, when I do make charts, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I think the only thing that I probably said in the sessions for Dulce was, this is what I'm doing, so don't do that. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, I have my own sort of set of rules in my mind that I don't typically uh share which really is you know the expectations or the hopes rather from everyone is that there's not going to be conventional tropes pulled in right you know, no jazz no licks no filling space when 
there is any, you know, like that all of the things that everyone has learned and worked so hard to perfect and studied in school and, you know, real booked all the way to and from and everything, keep that as your vocabulary and try not to access it as much as possible yeah. sort of thing. That way these songs, you know, aren't <clears throat> going to be replication or, or replicas, you know, of what we've already done and heard. Right, right. And instead, let's, you know, instead of replicating and let's, we can give a nod to the folk song and we're going to give a nod to the rock song and we're going to give a nod to experimental attitudes here but we're never going to quite tap into any of the things that are going to deem these pieces. Right. You know, in a, or classify them in any kind of way. Um, but when it comes to Mark specifically, yes, I mean, we absolutely, and I absolutely wanted to give him full free reign, do whatever you like, just whatever you want. Don't, don't hold back. Play out as much as you want to and as much as possible. And whatever you feel, I trust you completely. And, you know, that worked out, obviously. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's my record, but it is very thoroughly a Mark Rebo plays the way Mark Rebo plays <laughs> on every song, throughout every song. And that's the way it should be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, your songs, you know, rhythmically, I feel like you are totally in your own zone. And I feel like maybe that is what you're talking about when you're talking about how you can nod to these genres and these forms. And of course, nothing is going to be made, uh, you know, completely out of nothing. That's not how it works. You know, as artists, we are drawing on all these different sounds and textures and idioms and languages but to sort of abandon a certain sense of decorum and classification is really is really great and i think that's partially one of the things i like about the record is that um there is no you're not you're not so focused on one genre you're not so focused on presenting yourself in an easily um, sort of packaged form even to the to the it's not that singing in English and Spanish you know uh, really shakes a lot of listeners I, I wouldn't imagine at least but to me that also speaks to your desire to occupy more than one lane right and you're you're willing to express yourself in differing uh, languages in this case literally but musically sort of decoupling it from the sort of easy to classify um, framework really opens the space up for these to the point that when we we spoke a little bit via email before this conversation mostly as we were going back and forth on uh, figuring out the right time to do so uh, but um, <laughs> and that was all on me but we talked a little <laughs> bit about the I wanted to ask you about some of the tunings you know because your your guitar playing on this record there's some really very interesting very uh organic things happening and the, the the guitar has a real tone and you were sort of like yeah we can talk a little bit about that but i'm not the person to ask about specific tunings and all of this stuff because you're it's almost like and correct me if i'm wrong it's not that you simply d don't care what the tuning is but you're not concerned with maintaining these songs as the sort of thing that you could just easily replicate right like when it comes to playing them live oh no not at all no right mm -hmm. right yeah those studio versions are a one-time thing <laughs> do you you know i feel like so often the uh, for a musician that that sounds uh scary right unless you're an improv fully improv fully jazz you know fully uh fully in that zone where that's all you do is 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 improv and then let it let it go but for singer songwriter types i think there's always this fear like well if i present the song this way this is what the song will be to people and then i can't take it in some new direction i don't take it that that's a fear of yours no it really isn't you know and possibly that's because all you know 27 of my fans 
across the world. Um, it's going to be at least 30 after this podcast. Maybe, maybe, yeah. If we get to 34 or five, that's, we've really made it big time. Um, but I think part, part of it, and let me, let me just say also that I appreciate so much all of the wonderful things you're saying about, you know, me being able to do this and that and, and my attitude with writing and unconventionalism. And that's all wonderful. And I do appreciate that very much. But the Midwestern humility in me must stand up first to say that I think a, a large reason for that, or maybe the primary reason for that is that I'm no expert on anything. I'm, I'm not the most proficient guitarist I'm not, my singing is quite niche. <laughs> the way that I approach both my playing and my writing and my, and my singing, um, all of these things I've, I've done in ways based in necessity rather than from a learned perspective. Yeah. I did not go to school to study music. I cannot read music. Um, I don't notate my pieces. I make very, very simple, basic charts littered with mistakes. <laughs> and then we get into the room and people will say, is this what you're playing? And I'll say, I'm not sure. So, I, you know, let me be clear that I think a lot of the reason for my not lack of interest and not lack of care, but rather just... <laughs> the practical way yeah. that I'm able to make music and collaborate with other people must be very loose to accommodate my own limitations. And <clears throat> now saying that, I don't want to throw myself under the bus too much because I do think that despite those limitations, I've been able to work with really, really amazing people. And that because of those limitations, in some ways, I've been able to, you know, pursue music in an atypical way, because I am not being weighed down by expectations, whether that's through traditional form or technique, or audience. You know, my music historically hasn't been very genre-specific, and so I've never felt the need to really embrace uh, anything too stylistically. And <clears throat> that's also allowed me to approach, you know, my bizarre tunings, of which I have many, and most of them are written down. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, most of them. And most of the time, I know what I'm doing to a degree and everything. But um, I, I'm not going to allow those restrictions, I suppose, that I have in my own playing to, to dictate how the music is going to evolve or not. Right. And so I want to make sure that, because I love to play with improvisers. And I think that my music sounds the best with improvisers. And people who aren't going to get too hung up on how something goes. And they're not going to get too hung up on, you know, well, she's playing this chord, so I should play this chord. You know, like, no, get out of here with that. Yeah. Um, that's, it's just not for me. Yeah. But it takes a, a certain kind of security as well as a proficiency on your instrument as an instrumentalist coming into that to be able to pull that off. So, you know, me and all my limitations <laughs> have, I think, just I've been wiser rather than um, proficient at my guitar in bringing in people who are much better practiced than me at their instruments, who are older than me, who have a lot more experience, and who are primarily improvisers, so that they can 
in effect, you know, accomplish these sort of territories that I think a lot of more traditional players are a little too apprehensive to step into. Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now. Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Yeah, I know what you mean, and I appreciate your your Midwest humility, and uh, <laughs> and 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 I of course don't want to do the thing where I just shower endless praise on the guests and make them feel self conscious. Um, but what I will say is that when I hear you use words like limitations, I I know what you're talking about for sure. I personally feel very similar in terms of my own sort of understanding of of you know, whatever chords and, and music theory or, or lack thereof is what I mean to say. But <laughs> but at the same time, you know, in creative process, in creative practice, limitations and restrictions are often the most helpful thing in terms of setting some bumpers for you the artist right it's like you're going to bump up against your own proficiency or something you're going to bump up against yeah. your lack of uh chops when it comes to ripping a solo right you know or whatever right and mm -hmm. those those are all um understandable and every every player has them you know they're different for each player maybe but every player does have those limitations and well, and if, if you don't mind me interjecting, I think it's 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 also important to note that you know if those things were important to you, you would do <laughs> exactly exactly right. You know, if it was important to me to be a centered lead, lead guitarist, yeah, and to play all of my own solos, and to you know be a gearhead and to do you know what I mean. If those things were important to me, and if I wanted the accolades that come along with being a really revolutionary <clears throat> lead guitar player, then I would overcome, <laughs> yeah. you know, those things that I'm lacking. And I would spend the time to woodshed and do that, you know. But what's far more important to me is I just have different priorities. I have much different priorities, you know, in, in the way that I approach music. And I think that some people can do both. Some, like, you know, Mark is a great example of someone who is incredibly proficient. He's probably the best guitar player in all of the fashions and genres that he's associated with alive. Yeah. yeah. And also, he's a great writer. Right. You know, both lyrically and and musically. I mean, he's an incredible writer, and he's, you know, someone who has just really... But also, he's 70 years old. <laughs> so I've got a little time. <laughs> You've got... <laughs> You've got a lot of time and these songs like you know they speak to that freedom that you're talking about. That's what I that's what I think is maybe it sounds to me yes. like you're talking about giving yourself permission to be free. And that is a funny thing. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's such a funny thing to think about because we uh 
freedom is one an elusive concern and it's very difficult to pin down sometimes what does freedom really mean you know but um but i think that giving yourself freedom to um to bypass certain formalities of the process let's put it that way right and aim for feeling and aim for expressing something ephemeral that's another thing we talked about in our in our back and forth email before was you know i mentioned that there's a sense of mystery to your music uh with eros with this record and it's funny too because i i want to point out for listeners who maybe haven't heard it yet um that although um there are some really ramshackle furious moments on this record of like a lot of real out freak out rock and roll vibes although there are moments of that um there's also a lot of tenderness and a lot of quiet and balladry similar to what you did on eros as well so it's not like a one-sided uh thing it's not like this is your um you know punk record or whatever although in some ways maybe it is uh so i just want to make that clear because there are some very there are still delicate moments um but that notion of uh of aiming for for feeling over uh perfection or you know studio gloss schlarb is somebody who can make real slick sounding records all day long right he has that ability um but he seems most interested in creating the most human records that he can be involved with and yeah and to me it's funny the way it's funny to to me the way an artist achieves originality is a funny concept but to me originality and authenticity what it all boils down to is you making a record that no other person would make no person has had your whole life experience and no person comes at it from the angle that you uh you do and so to me that really speaks to what you accomplish with your records is you make records that only sound like your records and that's such an incredible thing and i don't think you get there uh without giving yourself the kind of permission to be free well i mean this this record kind of came after a move, right? You had moved from Chicago to to Wichita. Where where were you from originally, Maria? Um, well, I'm from Wichita. Originally. Oh, oh, okay, great. And I moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So you so so you moved to Chicago. How long have you been out there? Um, just a little over a year. I got here. Let's see, I recorded last September and I moved here like two months <laughs> before wow. before that. So, yeah. So were these songs that you, I mean, I, I was, first off, what, what brought you to Chicago? Um, a lot of things, you know, various things, um, in in large part i wanted to be here just because of the music that is here yeah i wanted to be able to have access to just being around the type of culture that exists here yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, i i like the mentality here it feels very familiar to me i'm not from a really big place um i lived in beijing for a long time but I'm not from there, you right. know? And so coming to another Midwestern city that is far larger, but still has that same sort of humility and politeness and, you know, that I'm used to, but also has this incredibly rich culture in music and in art that I wouldn't have access to in a smaller city in another place you know yeah um i'm not interested in living on the coasts and they're expensive (laughs) (laughs) and you know this was kind of the really i think best choice for me at the time uh musically and personally um you know eros was i'm pretty autobiographical in my writing and so you know following 
everything that was going on in my life at the time of writing Eros, um, I think that a I think that I needed a sort of a new beginning yeah. for myself and for my art. Yeah. And just the idea of being able to be here where there's such incredible musicians around all of the time. You know, Jeff Parker is from here. He comes here regularly. Um, you know, there's people like Jim Baker who I get to play with in a couple of days you know, like fixtures of the avant and improv scene that I look up to very much. I get to play with Dave Miller now, who's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just have access to the type of musicianship that I could have only dreamed of. Right. You know? And it's very attainable just by being in this space. So, you know, that was that was really important to me to sort of give myself the opportunity to be able to... Um, work with people who were going to inspire me more and more and who were going to be able to sort of see my vision without me having to articulate it very specifically, you know? Yeah. I think about how funny it is understanding that desire to not want to articulate the vision in a way that explains it all away. I imagine that being on podcasts and doing interviews very often, um, knowing that your work is autobiographical, you've got people like myself combing through the lyrics and, <laughs> and, and, and trying to put the piece, the, the puzzle pieces together. Right. I mean, I think, I think Jasper, but you know, that's my own fault. Well, <laughs> yeah, be, because <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't want to overshare, I could have used a little more metaphor. <laughs> or or just don't include uh English translations of the Spanish stuff because then sure. uh because then you'll at least somebody would at least have to dump it into Google Translate to attempt to put it together. But I I, I keep thinking about that song Jasper, which is one of my favorites on the record. Um that one is well, there's so many cool things that that happen on the record. I really love the the kind of tangled guitar lines and silver lining uh there i mean again just lots and lots of incredible moments but that song jasper where you're singing you know i have to walk away from here i wondered if that was something where you were thinking about a move uh that desire for a fresh break or if maybe that song is coming from someplace else or or, or something maybe less literal in that case if you feel comfortable talking about it no Unfortunately, that one's pretty literal. Literal. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. My poetic, um, my poetic uh, uh, abilities aren't <laughs> quite yeah. on point enough to. Yeah, that it's pretty literal. But you know, <clears throat> it's still a love song to me in a way. You know, I think that um, a lot of these songs on here are just about moving on and moving through yeah in a in a loving way no hard feelings you know um wish you all the best but we are not serving each other yeah by staying in this situation you know and, and a lot of that is just environmental you know like <clears throat> um i really needed for my own sanity and help and you know, happiness to be in a place where I was going to be financially secure, artistically secure, and personally secure. And, and so removing myself from an environment where it was made clear to me through the likes of God or the universe or what have you, by myriad <laughs> uh, series yeah. of situations of you know, I felt over the past several years that it was kind of one thing after another that was sort of gently pushing me through the door, right. of, um, making some very, very difficult and heavy but necessary changes for myself. And at some point, you have to stop ignoring <laughs> what what the universe is, you know, guiding you to do, and yeah. you have to accept. You know, and I think that that's what a, this album is a lot. It's 
it's a lot of acceptance and understanding and giving in to, okay, this is the way that I'm going to be able to achieve, you know, all of the things that have been missing, I hope. Yeah. And um, sort of letting go of, you know, expectations that I never felt that I put on myself, but I felt were there. Right. Right. Whether societally or familially or socially, you know, all of these expectations and also artistically. Right. I, I didn't feel up until this point in my life, like I was able to be artistically sincere mm. because of wanting to appease the attitudes and the genre preferences of the musical communities around me. Right, right. And that's another reason why Chicago was so important to me because, you know, the improvising scene is so bustling and huge and wonderful and inclusive. And um, though I'm not, you know, strictly an improviser at all, those are the people that I play with. And, yeah. you know, it's really important to me. Can you still? Yeah, you cut. Delve into that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You cut out for one second, but I think you said it was really important to to delve into that 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 community. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about listening to the universe, and I can't think of how many times in my life I've ignored what the universe is clearly just clearly clearly trying to tell me uh, in favor of pushing on stubbornly uh, along my own path the one that's usually not working um so mm-hmm. I, I know what you're what you're talking about I think about their lyrics at the beginning of silver linings where you're talking about the new moon in Capricorn and earlier you alluded to God or the universe I, I wonder what you know sort of role mystical thinking or magical thinking plays in terms of your artistic practice are you somebody who um i feel like the like the term you know woo or woo woo gets like thrown out and often in a very dismissive way we're a pretty woo friendly podcast because i do think that music is maybe uh at least in part some sort of mystical uh act even when you're playing wrote pop songs or whatever but i wonder if if for you part of that attraction to the mystery is uh is something you explore through maybe your own your own mystical thinking as well that does that play into the to the situation for you musically i don't know how consciously it does but i'm sure that it does i was raised very firmly catholic um I don't practice Catholicism. I haven't for a very long time. Um, I'm quite a rejecter of most organized religion at this point. Sure. That being said, (laughs) uh, I think that when you are, I mean, I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through 12th grade, you know, like it was, I was (laughs) very thoroughly surrounded. Yeah by a lot of mysticism and a lot of ritual and a lot of, you know, um, accepting the absurd. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that that, you know, probably plays into how I look at the world a lot, you know, uh, whether I'm able to still now accept the absurd or not. <laughs> I think I probably have a lot more resistance to it anymore. But um, there's also a sense of naivety, I think, that comes with being raised that way that never quite has left me. Sure. And I think I exist a little bit in, in a bubble of sort of, you know, wishfulness and hopefulness a lot. Um, and... Yeah, there's there's a lot of magic I think that I do see and that I, you know, try to try not to explain away rather. Yeah. Um, it certainly makes appearances in my lyrics and in my poetry. There's a lot of Catholic, particularly adoration to the Virgin Mary, 
Um, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, semblance there, I think, for me regularly. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting <laughs> way to look at it, too. I mean, I'll say that I, in, in being raised Catholic, um, I also studied Gregorian chant a lot <laughs> when I was young. Whoa. And really, really loved it. Like, really loved it. I studied Latin and Gregorian chant, and I was totally enamored by by that. And I think that if anything, you know, when it comes to how my music has been specifically affected, I think that the that music and has, I think that that music probably still resides very presently yeah in in my in my brain when i'm writing and um that's probably a lot of the reason why there's such space sure. in the way that i write and patience in how i like to get through stuff you know so i don't know if this really answered your question no i mean i think <laughs> I, I i think it does and again we're probably not after specific answers at this point uh you know <laughs> I do wonder, I, I feel like, boy, Gregorian chants had a real moment in the 90s, didn't they? There was like this like huge pop <laughs> pop fad of people listening to like, I can't remember, is it Mystic Moods, you know, or whatever? Where I Yeah, I vaguely remember there was some sampling. There's like break beats underneath like, mm-hmm. uh, un- underneath Gregorian chants. And I always think to myself, <laughs> how weird was the 90s that uh, that was not just like a thing that did happen, but a thing that happened and was was huge. But that, that you know, it's funny, whenever word like, a word like magic gets thrown around, um, you use so many better words in your answer when you talked about ritual you know and a a sort of like adoration and to me i think that stuff does come across not in the sense of it being dogmatic or um specific to any one faith or anything like that but more or less just a sense of um the space the spaciousness that's created by what we call sacred music you know and then as far as the adoration of of mary when i think about the all the the various uh contributions that the catholic church has has given to the world for good and ill, of course. Um, well, we can focus on the artistic. We can focus. We can focus on the artistic for therein, a second. Yeah, because yeah. Because those those are, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's well, most most certainly, and 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 giving a, a a Christian articulation of this notion of the divine feminine. You know, I I hear a song like Muher, where you, where in English, uh, to the English translation is, I think, the the women stretch moonbeams to my womb. There is a slight sadness behind, there's still a slight sadness behind my grin. I thought that was just such a beautiful, I mean, two, just two lyrics, right? Uh, two lines, two stanzas, so beautifully delivered uh, and in their sparseness, deeply evocative of that notion of the divine feminine. And so, having having mary as this figure uh to me that is uh that's one of the great artistic sort of contributions right of 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 the church and of that tradition so i feel like you tap into it really movingly and again in a non-dogmatic way i don't know what the song muher really means but i feel like it means a lot of things you know Yeah, I think so too, you know, and I mean, music is to be interpreted by the listener, you know, um, so, and by the critic, (laughs) so you'd be better to tell me than I, you, um, but for me personally, there's a, a slight differentiation in narrative between the English songs on the record and the Spanish. Yeah, and I think that in the English, I'm really um, describing at present the sort of you know 
the freedom, I mean, we keep talking about freedom, the freedom that I'm uh, breathing into right now. And then in Spanish, it's a little bit more solemn. There's, there's more of a historical, or at least um, personally historical and, and culturally biographical uh, narrative that speaks to the lack thereof. Um, on behalf of me and my mother and my mother's mother and her mother mm. and these women who, you know, had with each generation new opportunities, of course, but through each generation, very similar struggles. Yeah. And um, none of us, none of us, not one, have had a, what you would call a successful marriage. You know, none of us have had uh, a super easy time when it comes to, you know, socioeconomical status, um, despite working very, very hard. And me, of course, the last on the list, have the most resources out of all of these women in my family line, but have seen a lot of the same, at least emotional hardships and, you know, to a lesser degree, societal hardships, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, that it's kind of pointing to, yes, look at this freedom that I'm able to embrace, and isn't it wonderful, and I'm ready to celebrate it. And this did not come easy. <laughs> you know, right. this, came, this did not come easy. This came from, you know, my great-grandmother and grandmother reservation. This came from my my mother working as a single mom and working multiple jobs while she was going to college and still putting me into private school because she wanted me to have a good education and trying to make it as a painter. And yeah. And now it comes to me, you know, relocating and writing albums in the wake of a divorce from a 13 year long relationship when that started when I was very young, finding myself as an adult and, and, relocating to try to like achieve this thing that all of these women have been working to achieve and did not simply did not have the resources to achieve. Yeah. But I have now I'm going to knock on wood yeah. <laughs> as I say all this to you <laughs> because you know, this too shall pass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and life is cyclical and you know, not to, not to try to take anything into a negative space. I'm not going to count my chicken. But right. I have been rewarded, I think, by the hard work of the women in my family line and by their suffering as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Dulce is multifaceted for me personally. Yeah. And that, you know, it's I think that my celebration can also be Veronica's and Dolores's and Rosario's celebration, you know, like my celebration can also be that of these women who have given themselves completely to their children. Wow. No, that's beautiful. And to, to see yourself in that ancestral line and as part of that continuing story um, and to think of the songs in that way is very moving. And I know you've got an appointment, so I don't want to keep you any longer, but I do, before we wrap up, want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, this record is beautiful, and your thoughts on it have been illuminating and enjoyable. Thank you so much for, for, for being willing to do it. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure it is to be able to talk about it and, and just talk music at all. It's wonderful. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for being here with us once again. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write, and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Maston, drawn from his incredible discography of library music. Find more by visiting maston.bandcamp.com. Art for this episode was created by Dakota Brown. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, 
Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, each and every Wednesday night. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse podcast. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on Transmissions, we'll be joined by occult scholar Mitch Horowitz, who will sit down for a conversation about his new book, Modern Occultism. All right, be well in the meantime. Take care. This transmission is concluded.